Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Maybe for you, this idea of following Jesus or Jesus calling is still new. One of the things we do at the 180 is help you understand the Bible better and understand that Jesus called people already in the Bible to follow him. And so if we haven't met, maybe you trickled in a bit later. My name is Dominic. I'm one of the leaders here. And, and one of the things that I, I like to remind people of regularly, especially if you're a new person, is, is one of the important values of our church. And that's the value of pouring into the next generation and pouring into new leaders. And for the past few months, we've had a young leader with us. His name is Willie, and his wonderful wife Jess is here, and Willie's dad's here. And, and Willie's been in a, a pastoral apprenticeship role. He's learning to grow and to understand what it means that maybe God's calling him to grow as a pastor. And, and so this morning, Willie's going to teach from God's Word in the next I Am statement that we started last week. And let me just tell you, if it's not clear, what Willie's going to do is actually very hard to do. To get up in front of people and teach and And he's worked hard on his sermon, and I've kind of encouraged him along. And so we're so proud of him and thankful for him and his family. And so before Willie comes up, let's be mindful that God has been preparing Willie's heart as he studied God's word to speak to us and to help us hear how Jesus is calling us to grow. Before he comes up, take a look at this little video. It's a kind of bumper for our video, for our series. Well, I'm really excited about this I Am series because when we look at the I, what Jesus says I am, we get to hear what Jesus says about Jesus, right? And there's so many, you know, there's so many movies you can watch about Jesus, there's books and stories you can read, but such a good chance to hear this is what Jesus has to say about himself, and it's just a great opportunity to learn from him and, and to kind of get that, that first-hand perspective, that kind of eyewitness testimony of this is what Jesus said he was, and we get to lean into and learn from that. Uh, and this whole I Am series that we're going through, we're looking at Jesus as I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. We're doing that in the context as a church as we're traveling through the season of Lent. And we explained Lent a bit last week. Lent is kind of the, the, the weeks leading up to Easter where Christians historically often have, have just taken time to prepare their hearts as Jesus prepares to go to the cross and to kind of reflect on, on just who Jesus really is. And so we're taking that time for us as a church as well. And, you know, I think um, one of the realities of how God works is that he often leads us through kind of hard times, through wilderness times, 
uh, to get us to greater freedom. That's just part of who God is and, and how he works. And, you know, if we're wise, Lent is an opportunity for us to lean into that, right? Because sometimes, you know, sometimes we're actually having a, a, good, a good time, right? Life is going really well, and we think it's just going to be good forever. Or we think if it's going poorly, we think it's going to be going poorly forever, right? But Lent is an opportunity to recognize that, that actually God brings us through some of these challenging times so that we can know him, so that we can encounter him, uh, that we can be close to him. You know, the, the way that God kind of works, in, it kind of makes me think of my kids. And my youngest, Timmy, he's starting kindergarten in the fall. And so youngest of three, we kind of know what the drill is of how, how you bring a kid to kindergarten. And I mean, I don't know what it was like when I was a kid. Maybe some of you are older than me. Probably you just, dropped the, you just got dropped off and you had to figure it out. But the way it works now is that, you know, the, the first day, uh, mom or mom and dad go with the kid for an hour right? And you meet the teacher and, you know, you sit in those little chairs and, and the teacher explains everything about how school works, right? And then the next day, you, you send your, your I'll, be, I'll send Tim in, he'll go in by himself and he'll spend an hour, you know, and he'll, he'll learn how to navigate school by himself. And the day after that, he'll be a half day. And then only after that, he goes for a whole day at kindergarten, right? So there's this long process of helping him transition from being at home with mom and dad to being at school, Right? And I think sometimes as, as we grow up, we, we, we don't realize that change is hard and that it takes a process. Or, but actually, I think sometimes we do realize that change is hard and it takes a process. And that's why we push back on it. Right? When we, maybe that we're in a career and we feel like, you know what, I think God wants me to step into something else. We know that it'll take several days and, and we'll be tired. And, you know, like when I came to the 180, I was like, when's nap time? Right? Like, uh, and, and there wasn't one. I don't, I don't know how this works. I was exhausted. I don't know what to do. Uh, we, that we can fear change because we, we actually know that it's going to be hard. But we need to know that God actually leads us through change. And, and there's just such a great image of that in the Old Testament. We talked a bit about it last week of how God brought the whole nation of Israel. He set them free from slavery in Egypt. And he was bringing them to a new place where they could live permanently and, and, and establish and have a good life. But to get there, they passed through the wilderness. And they stayed in the wilderness for a long time. Um, and last week we talked about how God provided them with, with, with bread and, and food while they were in the wilderness. But today I want to talk about how God gave them light. And, and it says in Exodus that God gave them, um, God was with them as they went through the wilderness. God, God was walking with them. And it says that during the day there was a pillar of cloud that, that went over their entire camp. So there were, everybody was living out in, in tents and camping essentially. Um, and so there was a pillar of cloud that went above them by day that was the presence of God himself. And, and then at night, there was a, the same thing was a pillar of fire was there to provide light at night. And because of that, because there was a pillar of fire, they could travel, whether it was day or night. They always knew that where God was and, and where God was leading them. And, you know, you got to think that was such a crazy experience for them, right? That God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. And so just getting out of that, it was, it was better. But then the next step, was that they were, in, they were in the desert, the desert of Sinai, in the, just in a, in a wilderness where they didn't know necessarily how, how to lead their life, what, what to do next. They didn't know where they were depending on God for their next meal, depending on God for water, depending on God for everything. <clears throat> but as they were nervous about where they are, they could look out every day and, and see that pillar of cloud and know that God was with them, that God was leading them. And you think of that pillar of light at night that sometimes maybe they would... the the cloud would move at night. The pillar of fire would move at night. And I mean, okay, it's time to go. It's time to go somewhere else. But even when it was staying still, uh, it would be there as a light for them at night just to, to comfort and guide them. You know, I think of, 
You know, when you, when you think of this, all these people that were traveling and living in tents, you know, whenever you're camping and, and you're living in a tent, it's dark, right? And sometimes, you know, when you're camping, you have your kids with you and they get scared in the dark. And so when, when they're scared in the dark, it's way darker than it is in the city, way darker than it is in your house. And you just kind of have to grab them close and say, no, 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 I'm here. You're going to be okay. But during that time in the desert, instead of pulling their kids close, I mean, they would pull them close, but wouldn't hide and burrow in the corner of the tent. They would actually just go to the door of the tent and say, look, look, the light's still there. God's still with us. We're going to be okay, right? God is watching over us. God is guiding us. And that, that experience of going through the desert and seeing God provide food, provide water, give light, give guidance, it, just, it was just like a foundational part of the identity of all the people of God that they looked back to and said, yeah, God was faithful. He was a light. He was a guide to us in that light. That light can be a light for us and our kids and, our, and the next generation and the next generation forever. And it became the basis of, there were songs and, um, and festivals and, and so much built around that to celebrate that and to, rem- to remind one another and to remember what had actually happened. And, and that's what we're going to pick up the next statement of Jesus, right? That, that God had been a light for the people in the desert. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can, we'll be looking at in John chapter 8. And uh, there's a lot in there. And so we're going to read a bit from John chapter 8 and, and go really quickly through it. But I'd really encourage you to read John 7, 8, and 9 a bit to, to kind of understand the full, fullness of what's going on. But, you know, it, it just what Jesus does here is he tells the people, he says, I am the light of the world. And you might think that's a, a nice thing to say. But actually, by the end of this conversation, by the end of this interaction with people, there are people that are so angry at him that they're ready to kill him. Let's read. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. You know, and when I first read this, you know, when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, I think my first quick reading was like, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm the light. Okay, that's like... Yeah, yeah. Think of my kids, right? You need to leave a light on so they can sleep, or you have to have someone in the room with them so that they can sleep. Maybe Jesus is just like that. You know, he's comforting. He's, it's just a, what a nice thing to say, right? And maybe you think that too as you read it. That's certainly what I thought, right, when I read it. But then right away, people said, no, 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 you can't say that, right? The Pharisees challenge him right away. And, and by the end, people are so angry, as I said, that they're ready to kill him. So that's kind of be a tip-off. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, there's something more going on, something worth digging into, something worth wrestling with to understand better. You see, this whole conversation that Jesus is having, uh, if you read John chapter 7, which I really encourage you to do, it says that Jesus was actually at the temple where he was speaking to them. He was speaking to them at the temple, and it was on the final day of the Festival of Tabernacles. And the Festival of Tabernacles was that festival where they celebrated how God had led them, was that festival where they celebrated how God had led them through the desert. To the point that part of the celebration, part of the way they celebrated, was that people would, would live in tents uh, as, as much as they could, or at least take their meals outside out, out, just to help remember how God had taken care of them, how God had been a light for them, how God had fed them as they went through the wilderness, as they went through the desert. And so when people are, are, were celebrating so profoundly that God had been a light for them, that God was their guidance in the past right to the present day, when Jesus came and he came in the temple and he said, I and the light of the world. I mean, everybody's kind of spidey sense would have been just going crazy. They'd be like, wait a second. No, no, no. We, we have a light. 
there was, God is our light. Who are you? Right? Even just think of, you know, think of if someone came in, just walked in in the door right now and said, hey, I'm the light of the world. You guys would be like, who are you? Right? It'd be crazy. Some of you that have been here longer, you'd be looking at me and just being like, okay, the new guy's got to handle this today. This will be fun, right? Um, right? You just got to lean back and enjoy it. And if you're newer here, you'd be like, this church is interesting. You know, people just kind of say things and can yell out whatever. Um, and actually, you know, when the Pharisees, when a leader got up and said, wait, 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 no, you, you can't say that. You probably would have felt a bit of relief, right? And you kind of have to feel like the, there was tension in the room that people were like, what is going on here? And, and that the Pharisees, they were kind of playing this role. They were in this position of leadership and kind of speaking for the community and saying, wait a second, here you are, you're appearing as your own witness. Your testimony isn't valid. You can't just say something like that about yourself. Um, and, and that's where, where Jesus has to, has to respond to them. You know, in, in a sense, they're saying, hey, you can't say this about yourself, and they're using this language of a witness, of testimony. They're kind of, in a, in a sense, they're putting Jesus on trial here. They're saying, wait, if you're going to say these things, you need to be able to defend them. And so, and so Jesus responds to them. Um, you know, the way Jesus responds to them, he, he always tries to, he, Jesus always speaks the truth, and he, he, he doesn't hold back, but sometimes he, he tries to explain it in a way that we can understand. So he tries to lead them into, into a deeper understanding. So we're going to start looking at that, that deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he wants to teach us. Here in verse 14, it says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who testifies on my behalf. So one reason Jesus can testify on his own behalf is that he's just, he's talking about himself, right? He's, and I, he's, he's saying, this is what I am, right? And so he doesn't need someone else to say who he is because he knows who he is. Right? There's something a little bit deeper where he talks about where I'm going. We're going to get to that in a minute. But then Jesus also kind of addresses their kind of legal concerns, right? Because he says, you know, in the law, yeah, the wit- testimony of two witnesses is valid. Not just one witness, but two witnesses is actually valid. And he says, so I testify to myself, but also the Father. God testifies to me. And starts to just say, hey, you, you guys are wanting to know God, but God is going to God is going to speak in a way, and you're going to be able to see God move in a way that will show you that I really am who I say that I am. Um, and, that, and that happens just a little bit further down in, in verse, uh, verse 28. It says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Uh, the one who sent me is always with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed in him. Right, so even as Jesus started to, to respond to their questions, people were saying, okay, this, this kind of makes sense, and I think I can, I think I can believe in this. Um, and maybe you're reading this, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I follow. So I'm going to, try to try to unpack that a little bit, bit for us. So, th- so on the one hand, Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. And that, that phrase, the Son of Man, that's one way that Jesus refers to himself to emphasize that he was, he was born as, as a human. He lived his life as a human. Um, but when he says, one you have lifted up, there's kind of two sides to that. One is that one you have lifted up could mean one you have exalted Jesus. 
when you, when you worship him, then things will start to come together. It'll start to click who he is, right? And that's true, right? When we, when, when we worship Jesus, we do start to see who he is. But there's another sense of when you have lifted up. It says, well, when you have lifted up, it means when you have lifted Jesus up on the cross. That's when you'll know. That's when you know who he really is. And that's when the Father will, will testify to who Jesus is as well. Um, so, and that brings together where Jesus says, hey, I know where I come from and where I am going. I know that the Father will testify to me. All those things start to come together. They converge at the cross, that Jesus knew where he was going. It wasn't just that he was prophetic and it was a prophetic power, that he was powerful and he could say things like, I, I know the future. That wasn't just that. But it's also that he's saying, I'm going to the cross. And that, that demonstrates kind of the, the type of leader that he was. And when he says that the Father will testify for me, it points to the, that when Jesus ultimately lays his life down on the cross, that God will raise Jesus from the dead. And that's the evidence that the Father has accepted, who Jesus, has accepted Jesus, that he has accepted his sacrifice, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that Jesus really is who he says he was. So all those, all those things will come together at the cross. But the cross, it also reveals not just where Jesus is going, but it, it reveals the kind of light that he is. Right, the light can lead and guide us. The fact that Jesus is leading to the cross, it shows the kind of leader he is. Right? It shows where he is leading us. That he is leading us towards, towards and through difficult, sometimes painful and sad experiences. And I think that helps us to kind of recognize that you know, the sad and difficult and hard experiences of our life, those aren't times where, where Jesus has just forgot about us or that God just doesn't care about us anymore. But it's actually that he, he brings us through those times so that we can experience freedom, so that we can know him in a deeper way, that we can know him better. And it's kind of the model of, of how he has set up life to work in, in, in so many areas that as we move towards the cross, we actually encounter God and we, we experience his power in, in a special way. Um, you know, one, one example that comes up even in Scripture is that uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, he says that, you know, husbands, he's giving advice to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her, right? And so the kind of application is that, you know, if you're married, uh, you, there's a sense you kind of, you need to lay your life down for your spouse. And it, it, it's not just husbands, right? It's mutual that husbands and wives have to, have to kind of lay down their preferences, to have to be, kind of be willing to, I guess, die <laughs> to themselves in a certain sense for the sake of the other, uh, and the way C.S. Lewis kind of takes this up, he's kind of recognizing, well, if, if, you know, the model for marriage is, is Jesus laying down his life, that means that in some sense, he's kind of joking here, but in some sense that any healthy marriage is going to be a little bit like a crucifixion. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, okay, C.S. Lewis, he wrote some good books, some good children's literature, I'm not, you know, and he was married for a few years, so he knew some things. But, uh, you know, it makes you think a little bit. And actually, you know, these past few weeks, uh, Jess and I have been part of the marriage course that so many of you have been part of. And, and the first few weeks is really, really good. You know, you get to talk about, like, what do you like about each other? And how did you fall in love? And we were just feeling, oh, this was great. And we learned some things about communication. We're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing real good. This past week, there was kind of some questions about how, you know, what hurts do you carry? And what things have you done that, you know, that don't work? Um, and I remember, you know, have, you know, there's a workbook, and I'm going through it, and we're supposed to share it with each other. And 
I was, we're about to share it, and I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm not sure how to share this, because all this stuff, there's a few things here, it's like, I think I've tried to fix it, right? And if it's going to change, it's going to be really hard work. Like, this is, this is hard. <laughs> and, you know, as like with my wife, with Jess, I was like, thinking, I'm just going to have to tell her, like, she's going to have to get used to it. Like, there's nothing I can do, <laughs> right? And you think if it's that hard for me, think of how hard it is for her, right? But there, there, I think C.S. Lewis was onto something, though, that, that there is something where you, you kind of go through those challenging times, and, and it, but that's the path that God has you on, right? And yeah, if you've been married anything like the time, you probably already worked on all the easy things. The only things that are left are things that are challenging. And, and the path of growth is saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into those. And, you know, and Jess and I, we're at a point, you know, where we do kind of see the hard things and, and we can laugh about it. We can laugh about it publicly in front of everybody, <laughs> you know. Um, but I know there's been times in our marriage where it wasn't funny. <laughs> there have been times in our marriage where it's just been heavy and really hard. And, I mean, I can say now that God brought us through that. And I guess from that I can say to you that if that's where your relationships are at right now, that it's not that God has abandoned you. God is with you. He's going, to be, he's going to be with you. He's going to bring you through to the next step, and you're going to know him better. You're going, to, you're going to be able to follow him and show his light in the world in a better way as you, as you follow him through that. But you have to trust that that's the way that Jesus leads. He leads to the cross and then through that and beyond. You know, um, and, and so Jesus, some people hear that message and they say, yeah, you know what, Jesus, I know you're going to lead me through something hard, and I'm willing to follow, right? It says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. But, you know, some people still had a hard time saying, okay, like, this is where you're going. I think I can go with you. And I think that's a, to be honest, it's an easy place to find ourselves, right? Where we see Jesus maybe calling us to something difficult or just calling us to something new. And, you know, or, or we see that God wants us to go, step into something new. And, you know, our, our barrier at that point, it isn't so much that we've trusted God in the past and it didn't work. But actually, our barrier can be that we trusted God in the past, and it did work. And because it worked in the past, we kind of get scared of, of risking what happened in the past to step into something new. And for so many people that, that were listening to Jesus that day, they had, they had seen God do good things in the past. They'd seen that God had been a light for their people for so many years. And when Jesus said, no, I'm going to be a light for the world, for the whole world, when Jesus started to open that up, they're like, whoa. All they could see was the risk. They, all they could see was what they were maybe going to lose. They couldn't see... They couldn't see that maybe God could do something bigger. God could do something new. God could do something better. And so many people, many people believe, but many people stick around and they, keep, they just keep wrestling. And that wrestling is important. That, and Jesus honors that, right? As they have questions, Jesus keeps on, keeps on answering them. And some of the questions are really, really out of left field. They say, like, are you, like, are you, are you demon-possessed? Are you crazy? It's like, that's, these are not always kind questions, but Jesus stays with them. He stays with them. He says no, and he, and he tries to give an answer to what they say. And he just kind of, for, for this group, he keeps on going deeper and deeper in, into, into their own lives, into their own history. And, and eventually, you know, the, the people that are listening, they're in, they're in the temple, and they realize that some of what Jesus says doesn't connect with what even they understand of the very beginnings of their faith. What they understand about Abraham is kind of the, the first person that really received wisdom from God and, and stepped out into the unknown and trusted God for the future. He's kind of, no, he's the father of faith. He's kind of the foundation, it really for all of us, of, of trusting God. And, and when they heard that what Jesus was saying didn't, didn't line up with what they understood of, of Abraham, 
that, that, that's a moment where they started to feel, feel threatened. And it started to feel like, wait, this is getting not just a little bit new, but I'm going to have to rewire and rethink who I am. I'm going to have to rewire and rethink who God is. There's so much I need to relearn. And so one of the questions they asked to, to Jesus um, in John 8, it says, are you greater than our father Abraham? Right? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Um, right? So there's just this growing realization that Jesus is going right to the roots of their story, and he's reshaping and expanding their understanding of who God is and what God had done. You know, and there's, there's something in that of that what God had done with Abraham was a good thing, and it was hard to, hard to let that go. And I was actually even just thinking this morning we were talking about uh, parent and child dedication. And one of the great things, that, one of the greatest gifts that, that we have is that God gives children to parents, and he gives parents to children. And, and we, we can look at in our lives and just see, that was a good, like my parents were a good thing, and we can look at our children and say, they, they are a good thing. You know, one of the things we try to teach in the parent and child dedication is that as a church, we recognize that as much as parents and children are a gift to one another, ultimately they, they have to be given, given to God, right? That, uh, you know, as I look at my kids, as I'm raising them, I want them to learn how to, I really want them to learn to how to listen to me. Um, and I'm working hard at that. But, there, you know, there comes a day where they need to not just listen to me, but, but listen, to, listen to God and be willing to go where God wants them to go, even if I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure if I know. They need to be able to hear God's voice on their own and, and follow God. Um, and likewise, you know, even for our parents, we can be so thankful for, for what they poured into our lives. Um, but also recognize, yeah, sometimes I need to kind of step out beyond maybe what they have seen. And that can be a, a really tense time. And, and that's what they're feeling. They're saying, you know what, our father Abraham, he, our ancestor Abraham, he saw so many good things of God. How can you change that? Um, but so, and Jesus kind of hears that question, and, and, he, and, he points, and he starts to go deeper to understand, hey, what are the, how is your connection to something that's good keeping you from seeing something that's better? Um, and, you know, sometimes the thing that's good, it's something really beautiful and symbolic, like, like family. But, you know, I think sometimes the thing that keeps us from going deeper with God, and we talked about this last week, it's not so much, it's not so much a family or something so good as that. It's something as simple as this, right? It's our phones, right? Because, you know, there's a, there's a light on it. Right? Helps us see in the dark. There's maps. Shows us where to go. It has all the, all the information known to man, and there's social connection. Everything you could ever want to do is, is on your phone. Um, and that can be, even that little thing can be enough just to distract us. And, you know, we don't even need to be, have some epic reason to, to move away from Jesus. Sometimes it's just, we'd rather be entertained. Right? And, and so people come to Jesus saying, are you greater than Abraham? And we maybe have to think of ourselves. What's the thing for us, that we're, we're not sure that Jesus is bigger than, that Jesus is, is more worthy than. And it could be, could be a really big thing, but it could be a really small thing too. Um, but here's how Jesus a- a- answers them. Um, in, in verse 56, it says, your, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Um, so, Maybe two things going on here you got to realize. One, Jesus is talking about Abraham like he's a buddy. And for the people there, they're like, wait a second, Abraham lived like, hundreds, like centuries ago. How can you talk about Abraham like, like you know what his emotions were? How do you know things that, that were never written down? How, how do you have this personal knowledge of who Abraham was? And they're starting to wonder, do you just think you're like, I don't know, uh, 
like a thousand years old and, and you, this weird miraculous sign? How can you talk about Abraham like you know him? Um, but then there's also the content of what he's saying. Jesus is saying, you know what, your father Abraham, he rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Right? Jesus is saying, you know what, Abraham, he saw something of who God is. Right? He saw God asked him to go out and go leave his father's country, leave his home, and, and follow him, and he, and he followed. And that was kind of the beginning of a great story of faith. But he's also saying, you know what, what Abraham saw wasn't just a little command just for him, but he saw a way in the future that someday a Messiah would come, someday a Savior would come. And he, was, he would just rejoice to see that. And, and in saying that, Jesus is inviting them to say, hey, can, can you trust? Can you trust that, that I am that Messiah? I am the one <clears throat> that can help you. I, and I am the one that Abraham was trusting for. Um, but it, you know, it's a massive claim for Jesus to make. And, and the people are wrestling with it. They're questioning, like, how, how can you know these things? And so Jesus answered them again. He says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You know, so just reading that sentence, before Abraham was born, before, before Abraham was born, I am, right? That, that's a sentence that doesn't make sense grammatically, right? And it's, you think, before Abraham was born, I was born. And that's not what Jesus is saying, right? And either in English or, or the original Greek, he is saying, before Abraham was born, I am, right? And, and that ties back to something we talked about last week, about how when God revealed himself in the Old Testament, he, he, what he told people what, what he told Moses, his name was, he said, my name is, I am that I am. Meaning that he, he was the one that wasn't, wasn't in relation, didn't need to be in relation to anything. No, it wasn't defined by anything else, but was able to define himself. That he was the one that was holy and separate and, and above this world, but he was talking. So he actually, even though he didn't have to depend on anything in this world, that he chose to communicate, he chose to be with us, he chose to know us. And so when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, he's, he's, claiming, he's claiming divinity. He's claiming that he is somehow on the same level as God. He, that somehow he, is, he, he was there from the beginning, he, he, he's eternal, that he, he existed before anything else. And that he was there right from the beginning. And that's how he knows what's going on through the story of, of all of history and all of the future. And so, but when Jesus makes this claim of before Abraham was, I am. But when Jesus makes this claim that he, he, is, um, he, he is equal to God, the, the response of the people at that point, they've been asking him, Jesus, just to be clear about who he was. And when Jesus is clear, this is the clearest he's been about who he is, they hear what Jesus has to say and they said, no, that's too much. And they pick up stones, and they're ready to, to stone him. They're ready to throw stones at him uh, to kill him. Hmm. You know, the, uh, and that's, a, that's something that can happen in our own lives, right? We, we ask Jesus, we ask God for, for more clarity. Tell us who you are. Tell us what's going on. Tell, us, tell me what's, what's, what you are doing in my life. And then when he does, our response is to, to even get more frustrated, to, to not step out in trust. But what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you know what, your ancestor Abraham, he saw a little bit of who I was. He saw a little bit, and that was enough for him to be faithful. And that was enough for, for people to be faithful over centuries, over hundreds of years. They'd heard just little pieces of what God was. And now Jesus was there in the flesh. God was there, right there talking to them. And he's saying, you know what, 
you don't understand quite yet, but just wait a little bit longer, right? Soon the Son of Man will be lifted up. Soon I will be lifted up. Soon I will be glorified. Just, you know, just a little bit longer. You just got to wait a little bit longer. And, and these questions that you have, it'll, it'll start to become clearer, right? As Jesus moves to the cross, those answers will come as you move through kind of the confusion and the misunderstanding and, and just the struggle of a, of a new idea. If you just wait just a little bit longer, you'll understand it. But the people at that moment, their response was, no, this is too far. We can't go with you. And they were so frustrated, so angry that Jesus would say that he was equal with God. They picked up stones and they were ready to kill him. Um, and you've got to think, you know, for the disciples even that they were following at that point, you know, they'd been, they'd been following Jesus and, and they must have felt the pressure too, right? That they saw that if people would attack Jesus, that people were willing to kill him, for them as the disciples, what would happen to them, right? Would, uh, would, they, be, would they maybe be attacked, right? And I don't know if you've ever experienced this maybe in, in your in your own circles, that people see you try to walk after Jesus and, and they start to say, well, what is that? Like, that's, why do you need to go to church? Why are you trying to, why are you trying to lead a holy life? Why are you not doing the things that we do? Or are, are all these different questions and concerns? And, and the disciples felt that too. And, and actually real, real physical danger, I think. As they chose to follow Jesus, there was, there was a risk that they could be hurt or, 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 or worse. And so when, when the people have picked up stones, ready to kill Jesus. Instead of, instead of continuing the argument at this point, they're, 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 no one's listening anymore. So Jesus just kind of slips away and walks away. He doesn't, you know, call down lightning or thunder. He just, he just goes away, right? And, and he continues on. And uh, I think that's where it's interesting to pick up, what does Jesus do after this conversation, right? After people have rejected him to the point of being willing to kill him, where does he go? Well, it says that, you know, you know they, slip, they get away from the temple grounds and and the disciples continue on with Jesus. And, you know, right after this, in John chapter 9, right after this, um, John, or Jesus and his disciples, they meet a blind man on the road. Um, and and here's, what Jesus says, here's what Jesus says to this man. He, sa- he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, right, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's the same thing that he said in the temple. He just continues on with the exact same message, right? All the opposition, all the, all, the, all the confusion, all the pain, you know, maybe could have pushed him off. But no, he, he with his disciples says, no, 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 it's still true that I'm the light of the world. Even, even with all that opposition, even with all that happened there, I am still the light of the world. And he says to this blind man, he says, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And this connects what Jesus said in the temple to what he said to this blind man. He's saying the exact same thing, right? He said, I'm the light of the world. And for the blind man, he gave him sight, right? He he brought light to him right in that moment. But it's the exact same thing as he said in the temple. He said, I am the light of the world. and, And those who walk with me will never walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? He was actually doing the same thing in the temple by by trying to bring light to people that, that maybe that were blind but didn't even know it, right? Yeah. But, but in that, Jesus makes a promise, right? Right from the start when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never mark in darkness but will have the light of life. He's making a promise. And it, it's a solid, when it's said in words like that, as when it was done in a miracle with the blind man. He's saying, if you follow me, if you follow him, you will have the light of life. You'll have to follow Right? 
you'll have to go where he leads, right? Following isn't just, you know, trying to grab at his, grab at his heels or trying to do exactly what he does, but it means creating space where Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. And, and he's, and he's going to lead. He's going to take you maybe to places you don't want to be. You have to follow. You have to trust. But if you follow him, you will never walk in the darkness. You'll have the light of life. You know, and, and when Jesus says, I am the light of the world and you will have the light, he's saying the light is him, right? If you follow, you will have him. He will be with you. He will be for you. He will, he will, be, he will defend you. He will guide you. He, he will show you the way. And it's a promise you can believe. It's a promise you can trust. It's an incredible, incredible offer. And my prayer today is that as you go out this week, that, that you trust that and, and, you, and you follow and that you follow Jesus and that you see that he is your light, that he is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, yeah, you are beyond us. You are above us and you see more than we see and you know more than we know and yet you speak and you want us to know you, you want to, to lead us and to guide us. And I pray that, um, I pray that what we see in Jesus, we'd, we'd be able to, we'd see enough that we're willing to follow and, and, and to test and, and to bring our questions and, and to keep on asking them, but then to trust and trust your leadership. Trust that you're going to take us through hard times, but you're, you're going to bring good from it. Just as you went, went all the way to the cross, even to your own death for our sakes, that you can, you can take us through whatever painful or hard situation we're in. So I pray that we would trust you this week and, and, and afterwards. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we have our prayer room off to the side. We have a great prayer team if you want to take some time to, prayer, to pray. I just want to say thank you for coming today and uh, have a great week.